several kind of fun, laughable kind of moments with you.、Um, because, yeah, the, and another was, and I've shared this often, but another was then on the other end, your Bethel experience in senior seminar. And man, I can still remember walking into class that day with Mark Root, the library director, <laughs> and <laughs> you're pitching cookies across the room、yeah. at Fort Meyer. He's trying to catch them in his mouth, and, and I'm just thinking, oh. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, no. It's men, guys? Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. men, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's men, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was another good, good moment. Another classic moment, for sure. I assume you edit out all the bad stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. So,、um, mainly I found it's just me, though. So, that is, that's、okay. been nice. Is once I get to like my portion where I talk, I'm like, oh man, gotta go back to work again. <laughs> all right. Well, welcome everybody back to the Subliminal Show.、Uh, today I have Dr. Keith Koteski with me. All right. So, he's a professor over at Bethel University.、Um, he has been there, I think, what is it? Five, six years at this point? Seven. Yeah, seven, seven years. Okay, okay. My, my math、years、skills, as you know, my math skills are not great at all.、Uh, <laughs> it's just it takes a wild guess. And I was like, yeah, that might be right. um But he mentioned some of his things as he loves to be able to hike, camp, bike, kayaking, storm chasing, um a lot of kind of outdoor activities, various things, just being outside in the nature, adventure, things along those lines. um He mentions he might have a possible addiction to chocolate、um, and an absolute immense love for coffee.、Um, but yeah, I am super thankful and excited to be able to sit down with good old Dr. Koteski here today.、Um, but we'll go ahead and, and get started. So, Dr. Koteski,、uh, is there anything that you want to add to your introduction of, of what you're, you're passionate about? Yeah, well, I was、uh, hoping that you could fix my addiction to chocolate so it wasn't <laughs> addictive behavior or anything okay, like that.、Okay. But, no, not much to add other than、um, my preference would be that you call me Keith. I,、uh, okay. I'm grateful for the opportunity I had to finish the doctoral program and all that I learned. It was certainly a valuable thing, but I'm still just Keith.、So、all right. You can we call can me do that. Just Keith. <laughs> all right. Well, Keith. Um, in regards to chocolate, as long as it's not interrupting your everyday function in life, we'll call it good. And we'll, we'll,、okay. we'll say that it's a, it's, a, it's a healthy, well, maybe not a healthy, but it's a habit. <laughs> yeah, habit, habit sounds good. That, I like that. I'll use that word next time rather、okay. than addiction.、Yeah. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> um, so, we'll go ahead and start with kind of this topic of, of storm chasing and outdoor activities. Because storm chasing, at least as far as I know, is a fairly rare hobby. Um, I'm not super exposed to that world and what that entails, but do you want to just, what, what kind of began your desire to storm chase? Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's kind of a rare hobby,、uh, not one, and not usually one that I share kind of upfront with people because、mm. it often leads them to question my judgment. But, <laughs>、uh, but I would say that、uh, it started really quite honestly back in 1973. In 1974, there was a large tornado outbreak.、Um, it was in 74, on April the 3rd, 1974. I was just a little dude, about,、uh, let's see, seven years old or so. And,、um, It was,、uh, it was something that like, forced myself, my family,、um, and families all throughout our area where we lived to really spend a night in the basement of our house because there were tornadoes hitting all around. My dad, I can remember him posting on a map where all the different tornado touchdowns were, and it was all around us. And 
And for me, it just sparked this intense curiosity, um, you know, something like that that was just fascinating to me. And it began a, an interest in weather. My very first speech that I gave as a nine-year-old kid was about uh, forecasting the weather. I started tracking the outdoor temperatures, the high temperatures, and graphing them and kind of just nerding out on some of that weather stuff yeah. uh, in, in weird sorts of ways. But it, it prompted just this curiosity about tornadoes, and I've always been kind of interested in them. <clears throat> if a tornado you know, warning was issued, I was the one who was like standing at the door or the window kind of watching to see what I could see. And several years ago, a number of years ago now, uh, I was just hanging out with a new friend. and. Uh, yeah. We're both kind of talking about this interest that we had in severe weather and tornadoes that kind of thing and we both kind of just looked at each other when as we were kind of talking about oh i just i'd love to be a storm chaser i'd love to go chase these things kind of thing and finally i think it was over a table just eating wings together it was just kind of like let's do it like let's just go you know <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and uh, we really didn't have any kind of training any kind of preparation we did eventually go to the storm spotter training that the national weather service office okay our area did but of course they tell you not to not to chase right yes. yeah yeah <laughs> stationary you know you spot the storm mm -hmm. we were trying to get all this you know kind of information that would help us in chasing and then we just started going like we would just uh, take a week of vacation in the month of may and just try to find our way and over time actually we learned quite a bit and he's learned even more than i have but learned okay. how to read and dissect the convective outlooks that the storm prediction center puts out every day and for several days out and how to read the computer models that come up to figure out where we need to go we learned how tornadoes behave how uh, um you know supercell uh, thunderstorms behave that kind of thing and, and just gradually learned over time and then he is he's kind of surpassed me for me it's kind of been a, a hobby but for him it's become uh, even much more than that and he kind of has his own kind of storm chasing um, kind of i would even say kind of business now he's got followers okay. and the whole deal and yeah. so uh, that's kind of how it all started uh, two two guys who were really kind of curious about tornadoes sitting across the table going one day going let's let's just go let's just <laughs> yeah, go chase yeah, these yeah. things and see what happens and mm -hmm. and uh and yeah so then it's just a love of that that has developed there's a you know there's a kind of an adrenaline rush that comes with you know, being in danger and and seeing kind of the more extreme um, you know, weather uh, situations and, and uh, there's a there's a certain kind of investigative curiosity as well, like figuring out where to position yourself, hmm. you know, in terms yeah. of, you know, geographically to be where the storms are going to you know, be when storm ignition happens at the precise time of the afternoon and that kind of thing. So there was a kind of a scientific kind of investigatory kind of element to it as well, trying to how to forecast it and get in the right place and and, you know, lots of boring driving around yeah. the Great Plains, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. But then, like, three hours of sheer adrenaline rush. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and hopefully an element of public service reporting, you know, mm -hmm. when you do see a tornado, reporting that so that the National Weather Service yeah. has data from eyewitnesses, you know, okay. spotters on the ground to confirm that since yeah. radar images can show rotation in a storm, mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's a tornado on the ground when there's rotation okay. in the storm. So yeah. hopefully there's some public service to that as well, or at least, yeah. at least I use that to justify my, <laughs> yeah, just, uh -huh. my search for the adrenaline rush. Maybe. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Okay. So this is probably a hobby that I might need to, to put in the, like a disclaimer of like, do not try this at home, sort of. <laughs> yeah. 
if you're worried about somebody suing you or me, you probably got to do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. 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 Yeah. Or, my or experts, professionals. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Um, or maybe just go visit your your local weather, um, your national weather service, and go get certified. Absolutely, and they would always love to have more certified storm spotters. That that really does help them in a okay. significant way. Hey, the more you know. I did not know that. That's pretty mm. exciting. <laughs> Yeah. The training uh, is usually free. So. Oh, how about that? That that is so exciting. Um, do you have any like particularly crazy stories around chasing? Mm. Suppose that depends on your definition of crazy. Okay. Um to be important. There've been some tense moments at mm-hmm. times, I think, when um kind of things get a little little on the crazy side. I can remember I'm being in Oklahoma one time. I'm kind of under the um, mesocyclone on a storm as a tornado was kind of forming overhead and we were um, not as wisely positioned as we became later on in uh, our storm chasing work yeah. and, uh, and so we had to jump in the car and and drive away really fast and I just remember changing of the wind direction um, from inflow to outflow and wind being so strong at the time that I couldn't even pull the car door shut. I was like literally just holding onto the door as we drove away because I couldn't get the, Whoa. it was like a sail no. in that wind. So it probably sounds worse than it actually yeah. was. But mm-hmm. uh, but you talk about something that kind of gets the yeah, like, adrenaline going. Mm-hmm. Would be, uh, that would be one of them. Yeah. Hey, um, I tend to get kind of nervous and tense in, when, when darkness falls, like when it gets dark. Okay. Yeah. But I'm not super excited about chasing in the dark part of it is that when i chase i love i love to be able to see i'm mm-hmm. chasing so i can see what's there and yeah exactly. in the dark often all you can see is silhouettes against the lightning behind it or something like that mm-hmm. but i can remember being in texas uh, sort of west i think of uh, fort worth texas um one night as it got dark and a tornado was moving in the area and i can remember um like just being really nervous. In fact, we kind of had video of us. We were like shooting video at the car windows and like you could hear my voice. It wasn't like the, hey, kind of crazy yeah. Keith. It was like, can you see? Can you see at that? Look that direction. Make sure, you know, got like really serious. Yeah, and, really and as I listened to it later when we got home, it was kind of like, that was that was pretty funny. Like I, yeah. you could tell I was nervous. Like mm-hmm. there's a tension in uh, me and what was there. And we were, I don't know, we were about three miles from a mile wide wedge tornado on the ground. And okay. so... Uh, able to kind of figure that out later by looking at gps plot and then the national weather service um damage survey the next day and uh, so that was kind of that was kind of tense and yeah maybe another crazy time was when we were trying to get to the south side of uh, of a storm i can't remember i think it may have been in texas too i okay. forget uh, exactly I texas, where it was i know texas be crazy sometimes so <laughs> it, it'd be crazy when it comes to some tornadoes sometimes but i just remember you know, we were trying to get to the south side of the storm. That's usually where you want to be mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to get the best view and, and get out of the precipitation. And and uh, it was clear that we weren't going to be able to kind of swing around the back side of the storm. And so we, we made a split second decision to kind of cut across in front of the storm, which would not usually be the wisest course of action. And yeah. uh, we were actually kind of in communication with a friend who's a meteorologist and mm-hmm. he saw where we started and then he saw our plot later and he's like, man, you guys are crazy. Like that was stupid. <laughs> like, you know, so, oh, no. so we, we're not stupid in the sense that we haven't done like core punching and that kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, but that was like heavy precipitation, a mm-hmm. little bit of hail and just you're crossing in front of the path. 
yeah of of a storm that that is tornado worn that might have a tornado in it and mm -hmm. uh, not perhaps maybe the best decision but we got to the south side of the storm so that's good but so i don't yeah. know if those count as crazy i don't know that i've had any i haven't seen any like cows flying through oh, okay. the air you know, yeah nothing kind of like, from the, kind of like the, the movie the... twister yeah <laughs> you know, no, no wizard of oz sort of situations no no wicked witch Moments of the West, like that. just flying yeah. around okay Exactly. I'll get right. you my <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, exactly. that's yeah, I don't know if I've had like super crazy things, but it's pretty fun driving moments, you know, mm -hmm. going really fast when trying to catch up or whatever and kind of some you know kind of some of the craziness comes too with just the traffic. There are a lot of people mm. actually crazy. A lot of people that actually chase tornadoes and so on okay. a good chase day it would not be unusual to have, you know, a hundred chasers and the roads really? get clogged okay. and you've got people yeah. who are watching the sky instead of the road. Mm. And so I've often told my wife, in fact, that my greatest fear storm chasing is not so much the, the storm, but the traffic. Like, uh. <laughs> afraid that my car is going to get hit by, you know, some chaser who's yeah, just driving like, erratically, trying to watch the horizon yeah. or something. It doesn't see our car or something like that. But a far greater danger, as far as I'm concerned, my own experiences. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that there were so many people that would sometimes go see that. Yeah, that definitely means definitely could lead to a lot of traffic. And in that sense, like the movie Twister, like was right in that regard. Like there was a certain degree of accuracy there, you mm -hmm. know, with all the chasers, you know, and they all know, kind of know each other. And you do get to know some of the other chasers. And yeah. there's a competitiveness okay. that develops there, particularly among those who do it like as, as their vocation. Like, mm, you know, for okay. me, it's just a hobby. Yeah. You know, one week of the year and then whatever happens around where I live. But um, you know, that kind of thing. But for them, it's like income and there's a competitiveness that develops kind of like mm. you saw, you know, movies are never fully accurate, but, yeah. but that element of Twister was certainly kind of a part of, been a part of my experience. But I'm just, I'm the guy who has happened, uh, well, about a year and a half ago, uh, tornado warning goes up for where we live and uh, in Northern Indiana. And, and uh, I looked, I pulled up like my radar app on my phone and saw where the rotation in the storm was. And it was just southwest of my neighborhood and so i find my wife in the house and i'm like honey i think you should go to the basement be back in a couple of hours you know and so she goes to the basement and waits out the storm in our basement i jump in the car and pick it up as it comes through the neighborhood you know and and then i yeah. call her 10 minutes later I'm like okay you can come up now i'll be back in a couple hours and you know, i'm up in michigan somewhere by wow. you know, two hours later but yeah it's kind of me it's fun it's a good time and it, yeah it, it uh it's it, it's adventurous Mm -hmm. That being maybe too dangerous. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So it seems that kind of seems to be the, the common theme of it's an, an adventure, but also a little bit of an adrenaline rush as well. And it kind of just feeds into a, just a general um, excitement to want to go do these sort of things. Mm -hmm. So does that kind of feed into your love to the outdoors as well? I suppose there's an element, yeah, of the adventure that's involved there. I think the outdoors for me, the love of the outdoors, one is it's just being active. I mm -hmm. think both my wife and I, we just love being active. We don't want to be couch potatoes. We yeah. don't want to be people who sit around. I, I, um, I, I love being up and doing things and the outdoors mm -hmm. provides a great uh, setting, a context yeah. in which we can be active. And, and particularly as we've come into this season of our life, uh, we're empty nesters now. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, what had been for many years, you know, our life kind of revolved around activities that our children were involved in and that kind of thing. And then suddenly kind of 
was the two of us, right? And and it was kind of like, well, let's yeah. find things that we enjoy doing together. We both kind of had things that we liked to do. Like she has absolutely no interest in storm chasing with me. Yeah. And she makes that abundantly clear, <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and there are some things she does that like, you know, I'm not really interested in either. Mm -hmm. You know, I would do it for her, but it's not really something I love. But we yeah. found some things that we loved in the outdoors. So we've taken up biking and kayaking and uh, and hiking. We've always loved hiking. That's been a part of our life. And so um, you know, part of it is just the activity. We love being active. And then part of it is just a love for creation. Mm, yeah. uh, for me, there's just something about being in God's wonderful creation. Um, there's a, I don't, you know, and I, I don't know that I can find all of the words to quite describe yeah. what that is, but there's just something about hiking in the woods. There's something about being in the mountains. Earlier mm -hmm. this summer, we were out, out in Western Montana at Glacier National Park, and there's just a a gorgeous majesty you know yeah. to what's there and the chance to hike in that and see that and and for me um one of the things i do enjoy doing a little bit of amateur photography and so mm -hmm. uh, that often uh, blends nicely with being in the outdoors but we yeah. we do we love the outdoors we just came back you know from a few days camping mm -hmm. in, a, in the woods um and and just loved it you know and then it was kind of like, oh now i have to go back to work like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, Wish I could just do outdoor activities all the time. So yeah. I, I guess I need to find a job doing that maybe. But, uh, maybe. but I also love love my work. But I yeah, we love the outdoors, love venturing in the outdoors, love love kayaking, especially quiet water kayaking. It's one of our favorites. Love, mm -hmm. love just enjoy that, whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a, a pleasure from being outside and, and really that just being in that creation that space really kind of energizes and motivates you to just feel better about life i guess would that be yeah, yeah yeah i think so and then there's like a piece like there's an escape um mm. from like the stresses of my work and that kind yeah. of thing and we even talked about that this weekend we planned to go camping just the last mm. few days but, um, anyway, but like last week there came a point where there were just some things that happened in my job that mm. provided a, you know, kind of extra stress. And I'd even commented, you know, to, to my wife, like, man, I'm, I'm starting to feel that. In fact, there was kind of a, a point like in one evening last week, it had been a particularly stressful day. Some things that were kind of weighing heavily on me and it was just mm -hmm. a late evening and I'm just like, I need to just take a walk, right? I need, yeah. I need to get outside, right? And mm -hmm. and uh, and I walked through, you know, our campus where I teach is beautiful with big trees and ponds and kind of thing. And I just walked in, you know, it's not quite the Rocky Mountains or something like that, but it's <laughs> yeah. a beautiful outdoor kind of place. Mm -hmm. And there's just kind of a, a calmness, a peace of heart that yeah. uh, that comes with that. And then being being away, then camping this weekend, mm -hmm. it's just like that stress just, you know, is yeah. set aside and, uh, and I find a, a peace... It comes with just being in the quietness of, of nature and um you know when we go when we go in the outdoors you know we're not bringing along the speakers with yeah you know, the latest playlists and all that mm -hmm. we don't want the mm -hmm. music i get frustrated with you know because there <laughs> were some people camping who were playing their music yeah you know at points and i'm just like man like you don't come you don't come out here like for that like this is this is what i come out here to hear the cicadas yeah. you know yeah. singing and the birds and that kind of thing there's just something about the true natural mm -hmm. beauty creation yeah. that just brings a calmness of heart and a peace for me that mm. helps helps in a time like that it's a stress reliever for me i like that yeah yeah and as a little like mental health moment here like it's there are several studies that have shown that just being outside even those simple times like you mentioned just a quick walk 
is very exponential in like lowering depression and anxiety because you're just you're in that space and you're able to just like you're able to like center yourself in like the place that you're at because yeah like you said you hear the cicadas you hear the crickets you hear your feet walking on the ground and when you hear those things and you're, you're able to center yourself and you're just like i'm here in this moment i'm not worrying about the future i'm not you know stressed about the past i can just be here and so so yeah it seems like your experience is very accurate of that of just allowing you that space of serenity and uh, like a, a healing space almost so true yeah no question about it and um the s'mores around the campfire also help uh the chocolate <laughs> yes of course yeah yes. i think I have one memory several a number of years ago we mm -hmm. took a vacation with our kids were younger at the time and we went out to uh, Grand Canyon and mm -hmm. saw the big hole in the ground you know that beautiful majestic and my wife had found um found some information about a place where um that isn't like advertised as an overlook and that kind of thing and but they do they do like some events there or whatever but mm -hmm. it's like a nondescript parking area that kind of thing and we you know it, in a national park like the Grand Canyon, there are people everywhere, crowds of people, throngs of people, which is frustrating to me because I go out to nature, right? I want to be ourselves, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. I want to be quiet. I want to hear the cicadas and whatever, or even just the silence, right, of, mm -hmm. of that. And uh, so we found this nondescript little parking lot, you know, no sign indicating what it is. Path goes back through the woods. We walk, I don't know, I don't know how far now, I can't remember what it was, but we got to, we passed couple of people who were walking back when we got to this point out over the Grand Canyon nobody was there like wow. it was just the four of us in our family yeah. and there was this quietness there was this serenity mm -hmm. this peace you know in the midst of the vastness and the majesty of this and oh man one of my just one of my favorite memories of being in creation but it was that element of just serenity yeah. and quiet and that kind of thing we sat there for a long time and then finally yeah as we were leaving somebody else was coming but like so different from mm -hmm. you know the major overlooks and stuff yeah. you know farther down the canyon where you've got crowds of people and mm -hmm. um, moms yelling at their kids or dads don't fall you know <laughs> if yes. you fall i'll cut your leg off <laughs> or whatever yeah. but, but like it was so it was just that that element of serenity yeah. it was amazing mm -hmm. it was just one of my favorite memories of that kind of thing but yeah just there's there's a piece of being in creation that yeah. i experience regularly and i love that it certainly was helpful this weekend in dealing with the stress and anxiety that i was feeling from stuff yeah. last week so it was good yeah sure. yeah you mentioning that moment is i almost had a had a similar uh, a similar moment to that but uh, I have a group of friends that we do camping on a, on a fairly annual basis. And this year we decided to go to West Virginia's new national park. Um, now I'm going to forget the name. I think it's new river gorge. Um, but we, it was like our second day we were, you know, we were exhausted just, you know, we were, we were along the river is where our campsite was. And then right across the river was a, was a train track and there was some, some yard or something. So like sleep was, was uh was difficult for sure but we get to like the end of our day and we had already done a bunch of hiking and we're like you know what we'll just go on this one more path we'll, we'll just we'll just do this and we kept going and we were like ah this is well this is better be worth it but we got to this space and it's like this little out like little uh, i don't know what you call that just like a a, a jet in a what do they call that 
like a, like a platform, but it's a rock. I, I can't remember the actual geological name for it, but you had just an immense valley on the right and you had a valley on the left and in front of you, they kind of joined together and there was like the giant bridge. Um, I forget, I forget what highway that is, but it was just a, a massive bridge. And it was, it was that exact moment of, we're just like, we don't have any words to say. And like, for me and one of my other friends who are, uh, both of us are, are known for doing a lot of the talking and we, <laughs> we're hard to, to, to keep quiet some of the times, but so it was like one of those miraculous <laughs> moments of just like, we can just sit here and just be in this moment. And, and yeah, I definitely get that of those those moments are really centering and you're just like wow like we exist in such a beautiful space around us and i feel like too often we we miss out on it yeah absolutely i can remember a backpacking trip when i was in high school i think i was a junior senior high school we were down backpacking in the smoky mountains smoky mountain Mm -hmm. national park and i don't remember now what trail it was but the the mountains had been just buried in clouds and fog the whole weekend mm, yeah and uh which was a real disappointment right because there's these grand mm-hmm. vistas yeah all you could see was just the pea soup of the fog and <laughs> all that and i think it was the last morning of the, i think it was like the sunday of that weekend we were only out i think for the weekend and mm. like that last morning and we had gotten to this point kind of at the top of one of the one of the mountains there and we were kind of standing there and watching the fog and then suddenly there was like this gap the clouds that was sweeping through the valley and like for 15 minutes like you saw this view right of the whole valley before you and and we were just like jumping up and down yeah like there was this euphoria right this joy we've been robbed of that Mm -hmm. majesty that glory right um the whole weekend that you know was one of the reasons we had gone and i can just remember like Mm -hmm. we were like giddy like a bunch of little kids just jumping up and down and then you know 15 minutes later (laughs) and that's all we ever saw but Mm -hmm. there was that glimpse right that moment of just marvel um Mm -hmm. at uh, an awe of what was before us and that's maybe not that moment of centering quiet Mm -hmm. right but it yeah but it is that sense of being captured by the beauty of god's creation Mm -hmm. and how he's placed us in that and and sometimes too an element of humility like seeing Mm -hmm. my smallness in the vastness of what is here as well yeah exactly yeah i think there's probably some good nice metaphors that could be with that that fogness i'm sure that's a that's probably a solid solid metaphor right there of just sometimes <laughs> sometimes life is foggy yeah. and we we miss out on these opportunities but we have those moments and we're just like oh yes this is why we're doing what we're doing and then sometimes the fog comes back but <laughs> i have to work that metaphor a little bit yeah, maybe exactly. for one of my classes or something. yes exactly you can tell i was trained as a pastor <laughs> yes I sermon was, illustration. Yes, I was sermon, <laughs> sermon illustration. I can do that. <laughs> Indeed. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so this kind of last question to kind of wrap up our, our nature conversation, but, uh, and you mentioned this a little bit, just kind of incorporating your hobbies into some of the things that you do. And, and you mentioned that, you know, you wish you were able to do part of your career and work just being outside and in nature. Um, but kind of, have you, have you been able to incorporate some of your hobbies into uh, just your work and career? Probably not in, uh, probably not in significant fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly some of the elements of my love of nature has tied in at times when we're talking about 
like you know a theological concept like general revelation yeah you know kind of a basic theology course or something like that Mm -hmm. um you know i haven't quite worked my storm chasing into uh, into a class yet uh, as well but there's also an element quite honestly of my hobbies that i want to keep separate right Mm. i I say i would love to do that for work but then it becomes work (laughs) and uh, yeah um and there's a part of that you know when something is work um there's I mean, you could still love what you do. I don't mm-hmm. question that. But there is a certain obligation, right, that comes with work. And like I was even talking about some of the other storm chasers, right? When it's your income, then you've got to produce it. You've got to be the first one there. You've got to get the best shot, right? Or you've got to, yeah. if there aren't a lot of tornadoes that day, you've got to find the one, right? You've got, because mm-hmm. that's, there's a, there's urgency, but there's more than that. There's obligation. And I think one of the joys for me of a hobby is the lack of obligation. I, I do mm. it for the sheer joy of it. Um, and so there would be some ways certainly to integrate it, but most of my hobbies, I guess, if I were being I'm just transparent, most of them are actually escape from work. They're mm. a separation from work and, yeah. and often actually are tied more to kind of Sabbath observance in yeah. my life. Um, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty rigid in following mm-hmm. a weekly rhythm of yeah. six days of work and then a day of rest on the seventh and, now that I'm a college professor and not a pastor, Sunday is once again like my yeah. Sabbath. Yeah. And um, and so often, you know, you'll see my wife and I hiking or biking or kayaking on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'll even sometimes post on social media, you know, hashtag Sabbath hike, you know, yeah. or hashtag Sabbath paddling or something like that. And my students have even picked up on that at times. Mm. And they're like, oh, yeah. well, what, what will you be doing this set? Right. Because those yeah. are things that replenish and refresh yeah. and restore and mm-hmm. in you know in classes you know in some of the classes that I teach we talk about finding those things for sabbath those things that we embrace mm. not just that we yeah. stop work or we cease you know those things that yeah. bring anxiety and stuff in our life but that we actually embrace those things we engage mm-hmm. in those things restore and refresh and for me those hobbies you know, tend to be things that bring me restoration not that yeah. drain me kind of like work tends to do even work that I love yeah it, tiresome at points and has obligations attached to it and these hobbies are much more um, a release from that sense of obligation and something that i do for the sheer joy of, of doing it not because i have to yeah. produce something yeah. or, uh, or that kind of thing i think if if i had to produce something with them mm-hmm. like if i had a blog that i had to you know mm-hmm. i've got to do some kind of post yeah. i gotta get something up there for the yeah, exactly. my followers or something i think for me that would feel like obligation it would feel like work and and um, can be as re- restorative as it tends to be for me. So another kind of maybe mental health moment there, right? The, yeah, our need yeah. for Sabbath. And actually the role, quite honestly, that a lot of my hobbies play as a, as a Sabbath rhythm yeah. in my life. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's just kind of been an interesting discussion that we've had with kind of previous guests that I've talked about is incorporating various hobbies and, and how you incorporate them into your daily life and routine. And, and I definitely think there is, like you mentioned, something fun and keeps that space sacred. Um, and as you mentioned in the practice of keeping a Sabbath of, you know, you, you want to dedicate that time to, you know, just pursuing what just pursuing general good life practices and so it it helps in that rhythm and that balance and just taking a break allows you to you know 
show up Monday and be ready for it instead of, oh, it's Monday. I mean, again, I'm sure you experienced that, oh, it's Monday. Uh, I have those days. Not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but those Monday mornings when even my coffee needs coffee. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, but there is that sense of I have been energized by my practice of resting. And therefore, I, I feel maybe a little bit more ready to take on sure. the next day a week. No question. No question. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for kind of sharing that and getting in a little peek into kind of your, your personal life and passions right there. Um, but at this point, we're going to kind of switch our topic to kind of what your profession has been at this point. Um, so you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, but you're... you're a uh, doctoral degree focused on this idea of mentorship and discipleship. And so would you be willing to kind of speak in a little bit about that, of just like what kind of drew you into that area and that pursuit of research and yeah, all that stuff? Absolutely. I'd love to. I, I could talk all day about that. I think you wouldn't want that. But, okay, but yeah, my dissertation, my doctoral dissertation was on mentoring and particularly mentoring in the context of those early years of, of Christian ministry, pastoral okay. ministry, by some of the graduates of our program. And that, that's partly because our, our project for our doctoral dissertation had to be something out of our ministry context. For me, okay. that was yeah. graduates of our program in Christian men. But but it but it, it really evolved out of my interest in seeing the significant influence of mentoring in my own life. Mm, okay. uh, kind of one of the things is we were choosing a dissertation topic, one of the things that we were told to do, you know, was just think back on what are those things that are you passionate about or where you've seen significant influence and I just I'm I'm interested in that for my students but I I also recognized kind of in my own life in my own vocation as a minister a pastor there were three four through four kind of key mentors um, who kind of took me into their wing who modeled for me ministry who shared from their life who answered my questions who listened at times to me in asking some of those hard questions and their influence in my life was undeniable. I mean, just absolutely mm -hmm. significant in, in powerful ways. And, yeah. but it was, it was actually a more recent experience that sensitized me to that more than I had realized before. I mean, if you'd asked okay. me about their influence, I would have said, yeah, yeah, you know, but just, just maybe six years ago now, something like that. I, uh, I went to a conference and I met up with one of these mentors okay, uh, yeah. in ministry there. We hadn't seen each other actually for quite a few years. We kind of stayed in touch a little bit from a distance, that kind of thing. But but it had been a while. And we so while we were at this conference, there were several points where we you know engaged in conversation. One evening we went out for dinner together and just kind of mm. catching up and the things that we're doing in our work now and that kind of thing. And then it was at that very end of the conference, right before the final kind of plenary session of the conference, he said, you know, he needed to leave. He was going to be leaving early. He had to get back home kind of thing. And so we just embraced, you know, he just gave me a hug. And as he gave me a hug there before the session started, just said in my ear, he said, Keith, I'm just so very proud of you. Hmm. And something happened inside me. Like there was yeah. this intense emotional response to that in the same way that I would have had you know, like when my dad, you know, said, Keith, you know, mm -hmm. I'm just so proud of you. My dad did that. I'm thankful. Yeah. I, I, you know, my dad was very good about, about saying that, but it was the same kind of, mm. kind of emotive response. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, like, like, you know, I haven't seen him in years. You know, what is yeah. this? And I realized there was a quality, a level relationship with him mm -hmm. at, at a formative time in my life that 
doesn't just go away even and even though we're not with each other constantly yeah. and that kind of thing like i was like wow i wasn't prepared for that you know and i i you know i can feel kind of the goosebumps you know now even yeah. just talking about that moment as i remember that and but it made me think about the nature of these kind of relationships mm. you know, yeah. if you know years yeah. later you know and and we're talking you know you know 25 years later mm -hmm. you know this kind of sense of wow you know but hearing him say I'm so proud of you like what you're doing you know i'm just i'm so proud of you. like it, it kind of sensitized me to his influence in my life and so i really became interested then in and kind of that kind of relational context for encouragement mm -hmm. discipleship the way that we shape even ourselves vocationally in yeah. that kind of a context and that's what that's what really kind of prompted my greatest interest in uh, in mentoring was kind of my own experience my recognition that was profoundly formed I, uh, by the influence that these three or four, uh, you know, people had had in my life, and, and was curious to see how that works for others as well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it really was kind of a recognition of that you you had this kind of significant um, older, wiser person in your life that you were able to kind of learn from and begin the process of kind of development in your not only it sounds like not only your personal life but also your career life as well yeah for sure yeah absolutely very formative for me okay okay and then just for those who may not um fully understand but how would you describe or answer the question like what is a mentor yeah so traditionally uh a mentor is kind of that uh, that person who's a bit older than you, they've experienced more of life and they kind of come alongside yeah. and then um, kind of pass along that knowledge in a, a learning relationship, right? In a, a deep quality kind of friendship relationship. You know, its roots are in, you know, even um, the, the Odyssey, okay. um, you know, the ancient work of literature where the character mentor is the person that Odysseus leaves his son in the care of okay. while he yeah. goes off on his and uh, adventure that, got to see kind of kind of sees there and so you know mentors are those kind of people who are farther down the road than us mm -hmm. uh, who come alongside us and in the context of relationship guide us a mentor is kind of a guide right they they're the the wise sage who guides us mm -hmm. into those next seasons of life yeah. and kind of a developmental kind of relationship it's more than just education although it involves a learning certainly okay. a learning component but yeah. but kind of you know some of the earliest research on mentor mentoring actually came out of the developmental psychology literature mm. and uh, in the field of research there where they saw the powerful influence of this particularly with young adults adolescents moving into young adulthood and the yeah. importance of having kind of this wise you know wiser more experienced um person you know adult who comes alongside and helps you as you develop into those further stages of, of life. So that's kind of in a nutshell. I mean, there are lots of definitions mm -hmm. of that. And there's certainly elements of mentoring that involve a mutuality, um, kind of the traditional concept of mentoring sometimes makes it sound like a bit of a one way kind of thing, right? The yeah. wise sage, the mm -hmm. teacher, you know, kind yeah. of informs the younger student, that kind of thing. And <laughs> yeah. certainly in a relationship, that's one of the great purposes of that. But mm -hmm. those of us who mentor others now, now that I'm older, now that I'm not the the young, you know, the young buck who's kind of starting out in life. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, now that I'm mentoring others, you you recognize that there's a mutuality to that, mm. though, as well. Yeah. That there's a there's a learning role that um, that the mentor plays, even mm -hmm. in a relationship like that. That is a that is a joy as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it, I think it reflects true of like the the saying the the common saying like the best way you've learned something is to teach it, and it kind of seems like that as well. Of you've, you know, you received this wonderful thing that was was mentorship, and and now well, you're able to give it. You're able to see a whole new side of it, but you're also able to learn all these new things that you weren't able to. Yeah, for sure, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful experience. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we did kind of already talk about the purpose of having a mentor and some of the benefits that you've seen in mentorships. Um, was, was there anything else you wanted to add to that? No, I don't know that I would add much, uh, much to that, uh, other than, um, one of the interesting kind of new, uh, newer concepts in mentoring research is the idea of a, of a, a set of those developmental relationships or mentoring relationships and the value actually of having not just a singular mentor, okay. um, but actually multiple mentors at maybe different seasons of life. Yeah. Uh, there okay. is some interesting stuff starting to be done about kind of this group, uh, kind of a mentoring group, a mentoring team, almost a, a set of mentoring relationships that, uh, that that's worthy of consideration, learning mm -hmm. not just from you know, and, and learning from people in different generations, right? Learning yeah. from who are, you know, you know, a couple of generational cohorts, you know, mm -hmm. older than me and one just older than me and then myself and then having an opportunity maybe to mentor one in a generation kind of behind yeah. me gives richness to, uh, to our experience and, uh, and to our learning. And I think that's, yeah. that's valuable. One aspect of my research involved kind of that elemental or the generational kind of component. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then differences in the ways that different generational cohorts tend to view uh, mentors and, you know, the Gen Z and millennials and my Gen X generation and that kind of thing. Yeah. Some interesting differences in how they approach some of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting to see how different generations interact with with others and and I, yeah, I think that's truly powerful to have those those different perspectives and being able to you know create a, a bridge in many ways through those different gaps. Um, do you? This is taking it a little, switching it probably fairly more abruptly. But do you have any tips on like how to make a mentor relationship work? Yeah, I could I could offer some again. It's research based. I mean, it comes comes yeah. out of not just my research, but even some of the research of others. Okay. Um, I think one of the, one of the tips certainly one of the things that came out of my research mm -hmm. uh, certainly was that the value that mentees, the ones being mentored, mm -hmm. based on the availability of the mentor. Like if one mm -hmm. wants to be a really good mentor, being yeah. available to your mentee um, mm -hmm. pretty much at all times. And what I discovered in and uh, listening to some of these mentees talk was they don't expect the mentor to meet with them in person on the spot any time mm -hmm. of the day or night. Yeah. Um, but there were times when they encountered situations. And again, some of the people I was talking to are in ministry and there are things that happen, yeah. you know, late at night, at 11 o'clock at night, you're called mm -hmm. out to a pastoral care issue, somebody in your home. And like, they're like, I'm, and I'm running into something here that's more difficult than I've ever encountered before. And I didn't, I didn't so much expect my mentor to, you know, sit down and meet with me in person, like at that moment, but it was great to be able to text them and say, Hey, I'm encountering this, you know, and, yeah. and to have them respond even, you know, in a couple of texts and then say, mm -hmm. you know, let's connect tomorrow afternoon or whatever, and talk yeah. about this, that availability thing was a really big deal okay. to, uh, to yeah. a lot of mentees. And so I think one of the things that would enhance a mentoring relationship would involve just being available for each other, particularly the mentor mm -hmm. for the mentee. Yeah. Um, even kind of, you know, 
in some ways, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the people I talked to, like, didn't abuse that. Like, it wasn't mm -hmm. like texting their mentor at 2 a.m. Just they need somebody yeah. to talk to, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. Social, you know, they yeah. want to talk to somebody. Well, I'll talk mm -hmm. to my mentor. It wasn't kind of that expectation, yeah. but it was that, you know, some of these things I encounter not in the context mm -hmm. of our regularly scheduled monthly meeting, right? But I, you know, I yeah. run into this and I need help. Mm -hmm. Like I need their wisdom and that kind of thing. So availability was kind of a big deal um, in, in terms of, of mentoring. Um, certainly many of them talked about the mentor's importance in listening, mm -hmm. listening as a component of mentoring. And, and, uh, and certainly they valued advice, but often, at least in my research, what mentees valued was not so much the direct advice, you know, the answer. It wasn't like they expected their mentor to give them the answer, right? Yeah. And in yeah. some cases, they were dealing with stuff that there's not like the clear answer. It's just, mm -hmm. how do we wade through this mess, you know, that I'm walking through? But, but what they really valued by a mentor was the opportunity to kind of spark their awareness of other perspectives, right? To mm -hmm. be able to see their their circumstance from a slightly different perspective or to think of something about that that they hadn't thought of before. And most often for them, it wasn't because the mentor said, well, let me tell you how to fix your problem. Yeah. Uh, it was that the mentor said, well, have you thought about, hmm. then they ask a question, a really astute, thoughtful, insightful question. And the mentee goes, oh, you know, I, that's, yeah. that's it. I, I never, you know, I never considered the possibility that that person was motivated hmm. by this, you know, feeling yeah. rather than what I thought they were, you know, and, mm -hmm. and so the, the people I talked with in my research often talked about the value of that listening and asking of questions mm -hmm. in the mentoring conversations that take place. And there's a lot in the literature yeah. about mentoring conversations and how those work and it's anchored, you know, in adult learning theory and that kind of mm -hmm. thing. You yeah. step back from your experience and you reflect on that and then you strategize mm -hmm. and, and, and that kind of thing. But it, but that listening and then asking of questions was like a key mentoring practice that was clear for them was really valued and yeah. they valued the advice that one might give as well yeah. but yeah it was clear that the conversation that caused them to think and that really treated it right as a more de developmental thing so i'm mm -hmm. not just giving them the answer to fix their problem yeah but i'm developing their capacity right mm -hmm. to find the answers for themselves to address their problems in the future yeah. and i'm i'm not just fixing it for them or telling them how to fix it but i'm developing their capacity you yeah. to do that for themselves without the need of a mentor in the future. And that was mm -hmm. something that they really valued. And I think that mentors saw as a priority for them as well. Mm -hmm. that this isn't just a, you know, a, an advice situation, but I'm actually wanting to develop their potential yeah. to do this for themselves and down the road to help others do, do it for themselves, right? Yeah. Is in a more multiplicative way. So that was also a, a practice I think that stood out to me okay. as, a, as a good mentoring practice, not just giving answers, but um, but asking questions and, and that, that takes, sometimes that actually takes more careful thought mm -hmm. and insight on the part of a mentor than just to tell them, well, if I were you, I'd just do this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's value in that, right? There's value. In, and that's why we want a mentor, right? Yeah. Who's experienced and has more years than us because they, they speak with that voice of experience, but mm -hmm. there's even greater value, right? We're upping the value of this um, when we develop, yeah. you know, someone's capacity to be able to do that for themselves. So that was also mm -hmm. one, I think just recognizing the importance of trust in a mentoring mm -hmm. relationship yeah, um, and establishing that early on that mentoring relationships tend to move through phases. Mm -hmm. uh, there's yeah. kind of a matching or pairing stage where you find, you, know, you get linked up with the mentor or the mentee that you're looking mm -hmm. for and it's a good, good match and relationship. And then there's kind of this stage of 
maybe you're doing a little bit less of the advice and talk about the, you know, particular thing you want advice and wisdom on, and you're more just building trust in your relationship. And a good mentoring practice there for a mentor, right, is to is to um, is to establish that by divulging yourself, right, your own kind of vulnerability first, so that you kind of give permission to the person you're mentoring then to recognize, well, wow, he's he's sharing some things with me like that you wouldn't just share in any acquaintanceship, right? He's divulging in my case, you know, Keith is Keith's telling me things he wouldn't just tell anybody, right? And and so that gives them permission then to kind of test the waters on trust. And over a short period of time, that can be built pretty fast. If people then learn that what I entrusted to you in that conversation, right, you have cared for well. And actually, in some of my research, there were some places in terms of negative mentoring experiences where, where a mentor, you know, they entrusted some, you know, some element of you know, a vulnerable moment, entrusted some you know, aspect of their experience to a mentor, and then they felt like the mentor um, mistreated that in some way. Mm -hmm. The mentor shared it with someone that. It wasn't held in confidence, oh, um, but yeah. was shared with other people or, you know, that kind of thing. And that damages, you know, <laughs> you yeah, know the, yeah. the, the, um, the effectiveness of the mentoring relationship is pretty much done at that point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. so building yeah. trust and building that early and the mentor in that case, taking the initiative hmm. to, to build trust, to be vulnerable yeah. mentee, I think is a key part of that. They is in a, in a mentoring relationship often like there's a, at least a perceived kind of power differential. The, mm -hmm. the mentor kind of is the position of authority by virtue of their experience, their yeah. wisdom, that kind of thing. And, um, and so for that person who's viewed or perceived in that way to divulge vulnerable mm -hmm. details, to kind of test the waters with their mentee creates a lot of yeah. permission and for the mentee to do the same and know that this is a mentor who can be trusted. And I think that would be another one that kind of stands out for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. And like, as I was listening to you, you talk a lot of what you were mentioning and especially with things of like developing that trust and creating that, you know, safe relationship. A lot of it reminded me of just my work as developing as a, as a therapist and a counselor, like in many ways, like it seems like having a mentor and a therapist are are similar in in some ways, but it, you're you're looking to that other individual to help guide you along this path, and like they're the ones that are giving the tools to help you do that. And I really like that piece when you talked about how you know it's it's not necessarily just giving a straight up answer to a question and you you really want to you, you're the the stereotypical counselor of ask, answering a question with another question but there is the sense of ownership that that person has to you know you know no one's like there's nothing another person can't force another person to change and so those those questions kind of just guide and, and spur that individual forward and I think that's really cool what you mentioned with, with a mentorship is that there is that kind of reciprocal relationship and you're able to go a step further than you would in a, in a therapy setting. It really goes into that of, of seeking out a, what um, some of the language that we use is a, is a stronger, wiser other that you're able to go to kind of latch on and, and hold on and kind of be that safe ground to come back to. And I think, uh, just thinking analogies, uh, once again, again, <laughs> probably that training with, uh, with, the uh, sermons, but, you know, like going back to your, your, you know, your tornado 
um, and storm searching like you're able to go out and and do those things and you have that thrill of adventure but when you come back to home when you come back to your wife you know that's your safe space and you can you can come back and be grounded and be in that space um or similarly as you were talking about you know being outside in nature and that's your space to you know kind of bring yourself back and and it's very not unlike a healthy parent-child relationship of, you know, you send your child out to go do various things, either, you know, the smaller things like on the playground, but, you know, eventually mm-hmm. off to college and then off to life. But they know they're able to come back to this safe space. And I think that's kind of what you've really got at in this idea of, of mentorship is you're able to develop a, a just a strong, like a, um, yeah, a strong relationship that connects you to a wiser other that, that kind of guides you, not in the sense of, you know, pulling you along, but walks by you and, and step by step towards where you want to go. And, you know, you talked about that mutuality aspect when that trust mm-hmm. level is high, right? And that's one one dimension right of safe space is the element Mm -hmm. of trust right and when that trust level is high then there's an opportunity even for mentee you know the younger less experienced kind of person also to ask questions that cause the you know the mentor to go oh like i hadn't thought of it that way either right (laughs) that that's part of the benefit and and i value that i mean i love that Mm -hmm. you know even even if sometimes that's hard and i can think of one moment in my own you know life experience one of one of my mentors was my was my boss was the senior pastor that i worked for I was an associate pastor and he called me into his office one day, you know, and he, he listed off, I don't know, three or four families. And he said, I'd really like you to go visit these families. We're going to be taking in new church members in, uh, in the near future. Just find out if they'd like to become members of, of our church and stuff. And so I kind of, okay, you know, whatever. And I kind of got up to leave and then I sat back down and he kind of got that look on his face, like, Oh, Kateski's, you know, here it comes, you know? And, (laughs) And I was like, okay, just, just help me with this. Like, why would it be important that they become church members? And he got kind of this look on his face, which he did. And it was, it was part of our relationship, right? Then mm-hmm. I had permission yeah. to ask those hard questions. He knew we established very early in our relationship of trust that he knew that publicly and in front of others, I would support him short of you know, some kind of immoral or unethical yeah. or illegal kind of thing. Yeah. Like he had my support if mm-hmm. in our private conversations, I could question anything. If I could ask, mm-hmm. you know, engage him in dialogue. And we just had a really good sense of trust about that. And so I said, well, you know, help me with this. Like, yeah. you know, our church has 600 members, but on a given Sunday morning, we our attendance is 300. And some of those mm-hmm. 300 aren't church members, like like these families, you know, why yeah. would I want to make them church members so they don't come as often? Because right now they come every Sunday. And, yeah. you know, and again, there's a bit of exaggeration in that. Mm-hmm. But like, it was kind of this point, like, what does membership mean to our church? And yeah. that's really what I was working on. Like, what what does that really mean for us? And he understood mm-hmm. that, right? So there's this moment yeah. where he's like, yeah, you know, we really need to, we need to think about that and how we cast that vision for our church, how we help people see, right, what it means to really be a member here. It's not just your name is on another role or something yeah, like that, or that yeah. it's not even just right that you get certain benefits, mm-hmm. but like it means something to belong, yeah. right? It means, you know, and, mm. and so, and then, and then he kind of looked at me and he said, go visit him anyway, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, or whatever. But, yeah. but like there's this relationship with trust. He was a mentor. We had mm-hmm. this deep relationship of trust so that I could ask in some ways a pretty direct 
a question that says mm-hmm. like wait a minute like that caused him you know to think in a different way and i appreciate like his humility about that like he he really was he was somebody who was so much more experienced than i was and i learned just an immense amount from him but there was that mutuality in that safe space in that trusting relationship mm. that the mutuality that allowed for him to go you know you're right we need to yeah we need to think about how we treat that here we need to think mm-hmm. about how we help people see that which is kind of fun so that's a specific instance of yeah. maybe where that mutuality occurs when the relationship is strong when there's strong level yeah. of trust yeah. yeah that's really cool I, I like that that just that analogy of, of when you're able to establish that trust the 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 ability to go back and forth and, and ask those questions without without fear I think is what it is so yeah for sure uh, well is there is there anything else that you'd want to offer as a, a closing note or last, last I don't word? think so just uh, I don't know that I would have anything to add to that other than uh, you know appreciate the opportunity certainly to share from my heart to share some of what I've done more vocationally but some of what I've done just uh, just for fun as well and, and just would encourage people to find those elements in their life that bring them joy and embrace those on a regular basis for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's 100% true of being able to find those spaces and that's been a fairly consistent conversation that we've had here in the show of finding those spaces where you feel re-energized. You're able to, to, to have that place to recharge so you can continue moving on of, of whether you're working a job that is something you love to do or something that's just a job to get by. Uh, it, no, no matter what you do, it's still meaningful and it is serving a purpose. Um, and it is, it's, you, are, you are making meaning of that experience <laughs> uh, in a very long-winded way to say that um but yeah but yeah i want to thank uh keith again for coming on and being willing to to do this and um, i am super excited to see where this show goes uh, all these incredible people that we've been able to talk to um it has been an absolute thrill and an honor to sit down with every single one of my guests and so keith is is definitely not an exception uh, exception to that um, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, uh, you guys know where to find us. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We now have a merch store. We have a brand new website, and Keith gets to debut it on his on his episode. Uh, it's just subliminalshow.com. Um, we will see you guys next week.